Welcome to the Long Come Norwich podcast. <sighs> Come on, let's try and drum up some enthusiasm. We are joined by Connor from the Pinken, one of the uh, journalists that the Norwich City Football Club top brass don't seem to want to talk about or talk to anymore, but we will cover that shortly. Should we start with listener questions, punt? Because there was a, there was three in particular that I think sum up exactly what the main talking points of this week are. Yeah, we can start with listener questions. Probably the best jumping off point, I would say, would be um, Along Come Norwich's very own Nick Hayhoe. And he's posed to us on Twitter. Well, he said, Dean Smith is becoming increasingly delusional. He insisted on Radio Norfolk, and by which I mean, I think he means the press conference, that we would have beaten Luton if it weren't for the officials. And he's appealing Kenny's red card. Should we be worried that he might soon be gorging on Toblerone and driving to Dundee in his bare feet? <laughs> Don't know what he means by that. Um, Connor, do you think there's some kind of, I think what Nick is succinctly asking there is, is there some kind of disconnect between the reality and what Dean Smith is seeing at the moment? Um, so from my perspective, I see a manager trying to protect a group of players, to be completely honest, is is what I see. Um I mean, my concern would probably be raised more if those messages that he is communicating to us is the same as the ones that are being communicated in-house because on Tuesday night, I felt Norwich City were pretty toothless and I, I don't think I'm alone in that. And I would disagree with his use of the word control. I think they had a lot of the ball, but they had it in areas that they weren't really going to hurt Luton. Um so to be honest, what I see is a head coach who realises that his players are under increasing pressure from supporters, from media um, about their performances and he's trying to stick up for them and protect them a little bit. And there's also a degree of deflection in that as well, I think. Um, so that's kind of my take on it. I don't necessarily blame him for that because I think it would kind of be worse for him to come out and batter them as well. I don't think it would it would be helpful to, to, to anyone necessarily. So... Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with a lot of what he says at this moment in time. And actually, that maybe contrasts with what I used to think, which is when he came out after games, I, I used to think he gave a very solid assessment of how a game has, has gone. The last few games, I, I don't necessarily think that is the case. Um, but again, I think that that's probably the circumstances that Norwich City are in rather than perhaps what he actually believes. And he's got this saying, which he said a lot, it's about tact, not honesty. Which is, um, which is, I think, probably being applied at this moment in time. Do you think part of that is also that when he was being so honest, he almost was able to be that honest because he hadn't made a single transfer, and he, you know he he was playing with house money to a certain degree in the fact that he could be very honest about how bad things had been because he went, well, these aren't my players. I'm trying to retrospectively introduce tactics halfway through a season for a team who are shot of confidence and are expected to go down. Um, so do you think maybe now the deflection comes in because there's a bit of personal protection there, not just protection of the players? Yeah, of course. I think I think that's natural. And you see it at all levels. Any manager, when they start to lose games, it starts to become about deflection. And, and actually, there was a, a quote that he gave earlier on in the season, which said, I can't come out and criticise these players too much because I'm going to need them again next week. And it's that point, isn't it, I think, for me, that, that maybe underlines it. He is trying to maybe suggest that performances are better than they are to help raise confidence and try and get some players into form because at the moment Norwich have very few of those. But of course, I mean, management, football management, particularly at this moment in time, uh, you only have to look at the Premier League and the managers that are losing their job, the Championship and the, and the managers that are losing their job. It's about survival and you have to survive, in my view, at, at kind of any cost. And that's kind of been his mantra at Norwich City, I feel, because 
in the kind of absence of building anything, what we've what we've seen instead is a real emphasis onto results. And the problem is when you sort of don't get those results, you're left with where Norwich City are at this moment in time with something that isn't particularly appealing uh, and something that people can't really touch and relate to and connect with. Um, so yeah, there's an element of personal protection in that. I'm sure I've got to be honest on the red card. I, I really disagree with that. And the fact they've appealed it to me is quite mind boggling, um, particularly when you, when you look at the law, but who knows, I'm not a referee and uh, maybe I'm wrong. Um, but yeah, I mean, some of the, some of the comments I, I have felt you have to take them with a little bit of a pinch of salt, because to me, that is him trying to protect himself and also trying to protect his players. And I think that's what we've seen in the last three games. And he, and he is a man who is coming under increasing pressure. And there's also an element that you frost the microphone and you're under anyone's face less than half an hour after they've lost a game of football. And I think you're, you're going to get an element of of um, delusions, too strong a word, but certainly bias and, and maybe inaccuracy in, in, in how they saw the game because the emotions are still raw as well, no matter how experienced you are in, in dealing with those. So I think you, you kind of mix all those together and you get what Dean Smith is saying publicly and, and, and what I would hope is that what he's saying privately is actually pretty different. Well, speaking about what you're saying privately, um, I heard from two former Norwich City uh, coaching staff alumni who happens to be at the game because of the way their team's performances or fixtures worked out. Um, uh, one of them called out um, a couple of players in particular for not necessarily seeming to be pulling up any trees. And another one mentioned that the lads don't seem to be enjoying it, was their words. Um, Punt, what, what do you think about that? If if if, um, if Weber was, was Graham Brady, how many letters of no confidence do you think that, that you know, would have been received for, for Dean Smith? Do you think the lads are actually having a nice time? Um, no, I don't think they are. And I think that comes down to, for me, and I'm really interested in Connor's take on this, actually, is that it doesn't feel like there's any tangible plan. It almost seems to me that he's he's adjusting his formations based on opposition. He's, a, he's adjusting personnel based on opposition. And that kind of worries me. And, it, and also kind of links to that he's still playing players he's still you know kind of he's still using round pegs in square holes Josh Sargent is still out wide and he and you know like ultimately he's completely ineffective there at times when he gets into central areas he looks absolutely potent you know as was displayed with his goal when him and Dow linked up and again you know Dow's a, another point He's playing Dowell in wide areas when Kieran Dowell is clearly a number 10. He is not a right winger or a left winger who's going to track back for you or, or be part of, you know, kind of an, an effective midfield in that way. He's a creative type who you need at the top end of the pitch. So just it feels to me like Smith has significantly lost his way. And I don't know, he strikes me as a man who hasn't ever really seemed particularly energised for this job. And, you know, I don't know. It just comes down to, was he a bad fit for this football club? Was he a good fit for this football club? And it was just the wrong time for him, you know, to to join it. You know, he, he shouldn't have got back into the management game as quickly as he did. Or is he just a bad fit? And, you know, culturally, we need to move on. And I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. You know, it, it just feels like there's no energy, there's no drive, there's no plan. And we're getting away or we were getting away with it because we had a lot of really good individual players and that luck has run out and those individuals have dried up and suddenly results have regressed, you know, to, to kind of align with performances. 
And I don't see how we arrest that short of having a plan, short of putting in performances. And there doesn't seem to be any sign of it now. You know, we're in a real downward trajectory. Kind of is that, am I being completely negative and in, in jumping off the deep end there? Because it's always felt like throughout this season that, you know, even when we were top of the league, second in the league, you know, averaging two points a game, there's still a nagging doubt always, you know, kind of throughout that period of, you know, do we deserve this? Are we good enough? You know, are we, or well, not necessarily, are we good enough, but are our performances meriting this? You know, and, and it, it always felt like it was going to go one of two ways in so much as winning would either build confidence and we just set off, you know, kind of on a path which would take us back to the Premier League or where we're potentially at now where, you know, three consecutive defeats and, and things are going the wrong way. Yeah, I mean, it, what was really interesting for me was actually during that winning run because, Norwich City were getting results and not playing very well. And I was setting up a camera after games going, I'm going to have to stand here again and say Norwich City haven't played very well and they've just won four on the spin. And actually, you, you begin to kind of almost question yourself in, in those circumstances because it's almost, am I missing something? Am I not seeing something? And actually, I think in, in the end, when you, when you boil it down, you know, this, this to me hasn't, this run hasn't been a surprise. And, and Dean Smith was right. And I said this, I think, in my, in my last video but I probably agree with him for the wrong reasons when he, when he said, actually, they're not playing too differently now to how they were in that winning run. Well, they're not, but all that's dried up is those moments of individual quality that you reference. And, you know, when, when I sort of, it, what I expected Norwich City to be this season was dynamic, high pressing, didn't necessarily expect them to have loads of the ball, but I, I expected them to be certainly a lot more engaging in terms of how they played. And, and that hasn't really transpired. It's kind of gone back to kind of ponderous possession where we're talking about control. But I would argue that on Tuesday night, for example, they didn't have control. Luton had control of where Norwich City had the ball. And, and that, that was in, in in areas where they couldn't harm them. So I've been quite disappointed by the lack of kind of identity and the lack of, of clear playing style. And I think that's, that's needed at whatever club you're at. I, I don't think that merely winning is enough in the long term um so that's that's disappointed me but equally I, I think there are problems at Norwich City that aren't merely Dean Smith and and that aren't Dean Smith's fault I think he is getting he is having to absorb a lot that, that isn't isn't his fault like the, the lack of connection for example isn't solely on Dean Smith there are elements to it there, there's parts to me sometimes that thinks just go and clap the fans it's such an easy win um you know that isn't his style and I, I don't think he's going to change that but there, you know that that is probably in his court. There are other areas that aren't in in his court for me. Um, but that's but Connor on that. That is ignorant. I mean, that is pure pig-headed ignorance. To, I don't think it's even ignorance though, because he's referenced it recently on on national radio. What was it, the Monday Night Club? Um, you know, yeah. and he said, "Oh, it's really important that there's a, a bond between you know the club and fans and the manager and fans." And he referenced, you know, I had it at Villa because I was. There, you know, a boyhood fan. Steve Cooper's got it at Not Nottingham Forest. Like he knows that that's really important. So I don't even think it's it's ignorance of, well, of the well, fact okay. that it's, it's important. It's, it's ignorant. It's ignorant to not try and, like you say, Connor, go and on the time he. It's unthinkable that a, a manager could start the season with the results he's had, irrelevant of the product on the pitch. A, a manager who had us joint top and within a win of the top from, you know, game six through to game 12 or whatever, the idea that the players, that the fans currently wouldn't be loving him is un, unthinkable. But it purely comes to the fact that he had, what, five wins on the bounce, you know, unbeaten in nine. He could have, during those nine games, 
he could have made a really big point of going, aren't I doing well? Come and spoken to the fans, come and shook, shook hands with the fans, come and clap the fans, especially particularly away, um, rather than half-heartedly either standing in the semi circle away from home or standing ri- rigid at the dugout uh, in the home games. Um, and, and that's only one small thing. But the point is, it's so... He doesn't have to do the the Ole stuff that Farka did. And yes, it might be a bit weird if he, if he did exactly the same. But the point is, to go so far the other way, he has made it a thing. And if, and, and if he sort of met us halfway in some way and made a few more token gestures around around kind of that togetherness. So that's, that's to me, what... He's been in football such a long time. He has had promotion seasons... And as John has said, he has spoken to the importance of that. And he, you buy yourself more time. You don't just need results if you've got good good feeling with the fans. But he genuinely seems to be making no effort to garner that. And that is the thing that just seems an ignorant choice on his part because it's going to affect his job security. I, I think he's lost in a bit of a position of objectivity. I think there's there's an element of, I don't want to go and, and do that because I'm the head coach and I have to look at things slightly differently and I have to take a step back. And he's made a point after games of, of saying along those lines in terms of his analysis and, and how when the frustrations are high, he has to almost cut through that noise and look at the numbers. And, and you know, Norwich have had the second highest amount of shots in the league, which probably sounds more impressive than perhaps it is because all of those shots could be coming from 30 yards. I don't know, I haven't looked into it, but, you know, you can handpick certain elements of it. And I think he's, he's almost got lost in this halfway house where he doesn't really want to fully throw himself in and be this really emotional person that perhaps Daniel Farker was. But equally, by not doing that, and, and not willing to engage with some of those elements, um, he's kind of lost or, or, or managed to um, involve himself in this disconnect, perhaps, in, in maybe a way that he didn't. Like I said, there's so many easy wins that you can do as a head coach. And, you know, if you have good PR, as you say, it can buy you time. Um, and that's not necessarily good PR with people like me. It's good, it's good PR with supporters and, and getting them on side. And, and uh, you know, also, again, not to fully blame him because I, I think there's also probably been a lack of communication and lack of clarity around what the narrative is at the moment. There's a real lack of narrative for supporters because all, all that is at the moment is, well, we want to get back to the Premier League and we want to stay there. Great, but tell us how you're going to do it. I, I think a couple of years ago, that was the bit they were almost really good at. There's going to have to be some pain. We're going to try and implement this and we're going to get players from here and we're going to build this and this is how we're going to do it. That's that's absent now. And, um, you know, it was always going to be difficult, I think, for whoever stepped into the shoes because of what Daniel Farker had, both with the fans and both what he created. And it's not necessarily about Daniel Farker, but, um, you know, that connection, that narrative is so important. And and almost that refusal to engage with it is, it does make life more difficult for him. And I think that that is an element that perhaps, as you say, that there probably does need to be some compromise from him on that as to how exactly he goes about building that connection. And, and you know, sitting here, it's it's really difficult to see how he does that if if things persist as they are, because, you know, I, I think there's a, a few people inside the club who just felt that winning games would be enough to return that feeling. And actually, I think the start of this season has proven that that's not been the case. So what comes next? Something has to come next. And um, at this moment in time, it's difficult to say for sure what exactly that is and what exactly it looks like. I mean, what was that other um, question that we had, John, about the improvement of players? Because I think that is, I think that is a really, really difficult thing for Smith to kind of get away from in terms of the fact that he's got this great coaching staff in theory, and that was what we were we were sold on. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think so. It was it was Daniel Kelly who asked, other than Sargent, can you name one player who has improved under Dean Smith? And I think arguably, 
We don't even really know if Josh Sargent has improved as a player since since Norwich City signed him, um, because you know, let, let's be honest, none of us really looked at his form in the Bundesliga and, and you know and how he was doing for Werder Bremen and all the rest of it. It's just that he was played out of position in the Premier League, and and maybe that was a a bridge too far for him. You know, or it, was, it was too much too soon, and maybe second tier in England. You know, it, it is this was the player that we signed. You know, this this kind of direct dynamic forward who you know there's lots of hustle and bustle about him but I don't know has has Smith improved him as a player or has Smith just played him through the middle the only other person that I could argue that he's potentially improved and I didn't see this my mate pointed out to me the other day is Liam Gibbs um you know and he's brought him into the reckoning and and has looked looked pretty decent although you know there's been a couple of performances of late where I don't know maybe because of fitness he's not quite at it um, but I, I can't think of another player that has improved under his watch. And, and what worries me more is Max Ahrens has visibly regressed. Max Ahrens is not the fullback that he was. Timu Puki, regardless of whether it's its system or you know the the way in which, or you know, or if it's Puki's form, I don't know. Like he's nowhere again, nowhere near the forward that that he was in previous seasons. And and that really, really concerns me and it speaks potentially you know kind of, of players that are devoid of confidence or it's an absence of of effective coaching or we had such an effective coach last time out and I hate coming on this podcast every time and talking about Daniel Farker but maybe we were absolutely blessed to have a world-class coach we didn't know what we had and maybe Dean Smith is just you know kind of every man coach and and you know kind of because ultimately he has a fairly decent pedigree at this level and at Premier League level, you know, in, in terms of what he can extract from players. So I don't know, may, maybe the comparison is that, you know, Farker was just able to absolutely improve players beyond, you know, kind of most coaches that are out there. I don't, Connor, what do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because you, you speak to anyone um, kind of in and around it about Dean Smith and it's always that the players really enjoy his methods, that particularly his man management is is pretty second to none, particularly with the, the players that aren't involved. The fact you've got Onel Hernandez, Jordan Hugel, all, all quite happy despite not necessarily playing too much is, is a testament to maybe what he's trying to do. I know he's changed things in terms of they do a lot of training now in units rather than, than as a collective, which has been sort of greatly received or, or preferred. Um, there's a bit more flexibility around training times, which never used to be the case. I just think ultimately it boils down to the fact that he is a different type of coach. Norwich have gone from an idealist to a pragmatist. And I think that's that's probably the case for it. You, you've got somebody who wanted to implement a playing style and wanted to his team to look a certain way and, and feel a certain way. And, you know, we turn up to Carroll Road and kind of know what we were going to expect, whether Norwich City were playing Liverpool or whether they were playing Luton. This time, I, I don't think that is the case. I think Dean Smith is happy to mix and match styles. He is willing to, if a team wants to press them high, knock the ball in behind. That that wasn't what Daniel Farkle was about. So in absence of this identity, you've kind of got a team that's a little bit more adaptable, but isn't as good to watch. And, I think as a result, it's very hard for players to flourish in a system that is constantly changing and constantly tweaking. I think you get almost, or you're leaning towards a team that is effective rather than a team that improves people and improves players. And that's that's a really interesting point. And, and that change of coach, again, isn't something that necessarily, or change of style of coach hasn't necessarily been communicated to well, but it almost feels more geared to a club that's trying to survive in the Premier League than one that's trying to win championship promotion. Whereas... You know, and I've made this point, uh, I think, before that 
what Norwich almost need is an, an ideologist at this level to win the championship in a certain way and then perhaps a pragmatist to do the next bit in the Premier League and actually that balance is very difficult. So, um, yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I was, I was kind of racking my brains there for players who have improved. It's very difficult to make the case for anyone beyond Josh Sargent, I think, uh, on, well, on current I, I, Again, I don't think Sargent has improved because I, I think Sargent still looks as lost out wide as he ever did. I mean, a lot of Aaron's regression, I think, is that he does not enjoy playing behind Josh Sargent. I mean, they don't get on on the pitch. They might be best mates off it. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. No idea. I haven't seen it. But on the pitch, they are constantly, well, mostly it comes from Max. Uh, you know, Max is constantly yapping at... Um, Josh for not making a run that he's expecting him to make, not coming short when he expects him to. Not, and I, I just don't. I think that side of the pitch is broken for us. Um, f- from that point of view, Max isn't confident enough to bomb on, or maybe he's told not to. Don't know, but it's um, it comes down to that pragmatist kind of line that makes perfect sense, Connor. But I think that Dean Smith, given a squad that is, if you give Dean Smith ten seasons in the Championship with a squad that is on paper, in the top 12, so so in a top half squad, I think he would get in the playoffs nine seasons out of 10. Irrelevant of the club, irrelevant of the players. If he has a top half you know, squad, I think he'd do that. Um, but I don't want to watch it. You know, it's, if the, the football is, is, is awful. I mean, it's, it's so slow. It's so boring. What was the game we were 2-0 up in and, we, and um, early in the second half, we were tuning up and coasting. This was early in our run of winning lots of games in a row. And there were kind of murmurs of discontent and and sort of not quite booze, but not far off it. Like, come on, City, get a move on. Because we were passing the ball around. Yes, we were tuning up. But it, that is so boring. Why are we not going for a third goal? Why are we playing the ball so slowly? We should be killing teams off. Um, and the idea of him being, it being adaptable, well, not really. Because... I wouldn't say it's adaptable. I just say it changes a lot. You know, he changes what we seem to be doing. And in his defence, he has had ever so many injury problems and and, and injuries that have mounted in certain positions. And, and so, you know, you know, that's not it's not his fault that Hayden was so slow to be fit. It's not his fault that Sarah. I presume it must be a fitness thing. I can't believe that we've seen what they've seen in Sarah. Yeah, I do believe there's more to come from him when he's fully fit. But you know, that's not his fault. But the um you know the stuff like the left back problem and the the, the that central midfield problem and uh, that, that's not his fault but i i can't i can't countenance watching that brand of football for 46 games i mean the, the fact that we sold that it was announced in the last hour we were recording this friday lunchtime that we've sold over 2 2600 tickets for sheffield united that the fans are doing their part the fans are turning up there aren't anywhere near as many empty seats as you know, the football, the entertainment value itself deserves currently. I mean, because we have been playing boring football. You know, we've watched a lot of of stuff at Carrow Road and away from home. And, it, you know, th- this is up there. This is up there in how unenjoyable, we, you know, we are talking human. We are talking Rhoda in terms I, of, I wonder oh whether God, that's on the turn though. I wonder whether that's on the turn because, I mean, I, I wasn't at Carrow Road on Tuesday night because both of my children had football training and I, I wasn't going to be able to get there in, in time. So I, you know, I was home pretty much about I don't know ten minutes into the game and, and managed to um to watch it on on Canaries TV or whatever it is that it's called, and I was struck by the amount of empty seats in the stand, which are potentially season ticket holders that are choosing not to attend, 
I have been struck because I take both of my girls to to Norwich City games, you know, as, as regularly as I can. I have been struck by the fact that it's quite easy to get a casual ticket. I can tell you as a supporter that has tried to take his children before, it's not always that easy. It hasn't been that easy in the last couple of seasons. And I, I do think that if there is a full season of this where it is just turgid and languid football that that supporters can't really get behind that I think people will vote with their feet in the summer and, and it wouldn't surprise me if you know two three thousand season ticket holders drop off because there are there are so many people almost just ready just to go this this is nowhere near good enough this isn't what we expect as Norwich City fans and that's mad to me because what are we fifth sixth in the league you know, you know within real touching distance of of the top positions, you know, we could probably if had we won on Tuesday, I think we'd have been top or joint top, um, you know, kind of with Blackburn. I just, I just can't fathom why this is short of playing style and short of lack of connection, which probably leads into um, the last question that we wanted to talk about, which was from Stuart Wardrope, who asks, how does the disconnect between large sections of the fan base and the club gets fit, get fixed? Is it as simple as results on the pitch or is it deeper? And I think we've answered that question already in terms of it's not as simple as results on the pitch because we all felt, well, I think we all felt fairly disconnected when we were winning six games on the spin or whatever it was. Um, so I don't know, how does it get fixed? You know, Tom, you are, you know, obviously you are a very mouthy supporter with lots of opinions. What do you reckon? Well, I think it's only um, it's only performances and style, uh, or, or some what we would use the term style. I I, I think the, the question about you know the the stats and the um, you know starting to to to, to sound like he's going to drive to Dundee and eat Toblerone hit the nail on the head for me because it's um, it, when you're when you've just watched nonsense. And then your manager comes out and says, "Yeah, but we controlled we controlled the game. All we've got to do is take these chances." Like, yeah, but we only created like two or three, so therefore you, you you're expecting peak Timu to have a peak Timu night, and then you just about scrape by with a draw or maybe a win. That is not a recipe for promotion, and not only that, it's not a recipe for enjoyable football. So we, you know, we we basically went on this good run on the back on the back of. Timu or Sargent taking a chance that, that fell to us. And let's not let's have it right. There were three or four games in a row where the opposition gave us a goal and in some cases gave us two goals, you know, through just absolute bonkers, bad back passes and things like this. That is not something you can build upon. And the fact that when you look back at it now, we didn't then go on and create extra chances and score and, and win by more goals more regularly. And, um, you know, I, I don't hark, I don't hark back to Farker's days. I see it far more as a, an overall, you know, life of watching Norwich City play that you are, you have to have one of the following things. You have to either feel like underdogs. So therefore every result is, feels like an achievement. So it doesn't really matter about the style as much if um, we're in the Premier League and even though we've absolutely shithoused it, we've managed to grab a a late one nil win or we have managed to frustrate a top flight team, a really top six team and managed to grind out a draw. That's where a performances aside, it doesn't matter. Or like in that, you know, that first Farker promotion season, this we're ahead of schedule. This is great, and because the football wasn't always brilliant, you know, even by Farker's second season, and we did have to score very late, and we were throwing loads of people forward in order to get results. So it's not like we won every game four 0 no, no one on this podcast has got those rose tinted glasses about Farker at all. Um, 
so you can you can do it in that that regard or the point that you made uh, connor i think you can turn up knowing what brand of football you're gonna watch and and think yeah that's that's my knowledge that's that's what i i love the fact that we do that and if we lose i know that we'll have played the ball as quickly as we can with as many triangles as we can emmy's going to try and do loads of flicks um and and that's what we're going to get likewise the lambert factor there was a togetherness of that squad of kind of chip on the shoulder overachievers um probably wouldn't ever get that chemistry and that combination of squad overachieving like we did um where you can really get behind it and then all you need is to is to change one element. Like, for example, we're still in the Premier League. We've still got half the same squad, but now it's Houghton. All of a sudden, you just go, "Oh, I don't like this," and that's the thing. And that's the problem. It's there are there needs to be that narrative that you talk about, narrative. Connor. Yeah. And 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 this is where I want to come on to the 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 kind of Robert Mugabe media blackout that there seems to have been around the Canaries. Uh, you know, since well, I still don't really understand which particular element it was that they got so upset about receiving criticism for. But how frustrating is it at the moment, Connor? And, you know, you can be as diplomatic as you want to be, but how frustrating is it to to be a Norwich City fan, which you are, and to and to have your dream job of being able to bring to other fans who aren't in the privileged position you're in of talking to people in and around it and not get a coherent message that you know, oh, I can't wait to put this copy out because the fans are going to love this. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it's, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't frustrating. Um, and I think, you know, it's not it's not necessarily about me or us in particular, um, first and foremost, because I think it's very easy when you have this conversation to feel like we're whinging or, oh, it's a poor us, isn't it us and all this. That's not necessarily the case. I think so. The accounts is a really, really good example for me, really live example that, that we can use. Um, that is something that you should be having scrutiny of and independent scrutiny of, in my opinion. And whether that's a football club, whether that's politicians, whether that's someone who owns a business, that external scrutiny should always exist for anybody um, who is in a position like that, who makes decisions on football clubs, uh, on, on, on politics, on, on whatever, anything influential. And the fact that that isn't there at the moment is, you know, and just to put my fan hat on, uh, you know, is, is quite concerning, uh, I think for me. Um, but yeah, also professionally, I, I think there's this idea that, you know, we're, I don't know, try and convey whatever message that's, that's not simply the case. I mean, my perspective to it, and I can only speak for myself really, is that I, I always try and say what I see, right, rightly or wrongly. And, you know, you can agree with that, you can disagree with that, that's that's kind of fine. But um, I, I, I not, I'm not in this role to have anyone over or to try and, you know, get anyone out of a job or whatever. That's, that's not why I'm here. I'm here to try and act as a service almost to, to Norwich City fans and to provide that accountability and, uh, and to ask the questions that supporters can't ask or, or want to ask. And, at the moment, that isn't being made possible for whatever reasons, and I'm, I'm sure they would come out and 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 maybe talk about the reasons. Maybe they wouldn't, but I'm sure there are reasons. Um, but yeah, frustrating is is mainly the the main word that I would use. And and look, supporters aren't stupid. I think they they know and they can sense it, and and it doesn't help with what we we've spoken about, right? So, um, you know, I, I would have loved nothing more this week than to are to be asking questions about. Well, why have Norwich City taken out £66 million in loans? What does that mean? You know, should supporters be concerned about it? Why is, you know, what what does it mean for the future? I would have loved to ask about 
why the auditors have changed, even though they passed a motion in the AGM last year for the same ones. All all of these are questions that should be getting asked and and scrutiny that should be happening that that isn't. Um, And for me, in whatever walk of life you get to, that's not a particularly great position to be in, in my view. And you guys maybe have have the same or, or altering views, but that's that's kind of my stance on it. I've got, I mean, I've got similar views, Connor. I mean, you'll remember. I think you were part of my football writer at the time when we were invited to dinner at the club. Archon were there. I think Michael had just joined the Athletic. My football writer, along come Norwich. Mate, I think the Talk Norwich City lads as well were there, and that was very much a football club bring in you know local media be that you know kind of conventional old school media or fan media in and just going look we want you as part of the journey we want you know for again you know that the the word narrative to come into it we we want you to be able to ask the questions that you need to be able to ask to be really honest with us to you know to have a really healthy working relationship and look i think tom's you know maybe goes off the deep end with the mugabe media blackout you know, ultimately, I think what we're saying is that your access to the club isn't non-existent. You're still at press conferences and all the rest of it, but your access has been seriously reduced. Um, that feels to me like, and, and the account is is perfect. You know, you, you've absolutely raised the right point. I think in in this regard, it feels to me like supporters and the media are being talked to rather than being part of the conversation and we come back to why maybe supporters are feeling disenfranchised or disengaged. We were part of the conversation for about four, four and a half years. And now it's very clear that we're not, you know, they've put out a lovely, whatever it is, 70 page report for the accounts, you know, know, and with some very nice statements from, you know, Zoe Ward and Stuart Weber and all the rest of it. And it looks really nice. And it's got the lovely, you know, new font from the club and all the rest of it. Ultimately, as you say, there's there's zero scrutiny towards that. And what worries me with all of that is, and I, I remember this vividly after the 2018-19 promotion, is you know there was a there was a real celebration by media fans of the togetherness that had been garnered as a as a result of that season. And Stuart Webber was really like, you know, at pains to point out, culture's easy when you're winning. Culture's dead easy when you're winning. Our culture gets tested when things you know, are hard and things are hard now, no matter which way they want to dress that up, things are hard. And, you know, whether it's a conscious decision by, you know, whoever it is at, you know, the top brass at the football club, they have chosen to disengage with, with fans or not necessarily completely disengage, but engage less, engage in different ways, engage in ways which weren't, you know, aren't the successful ways that they were doing beforehand. I can't remember a time. you know, kind of 18, 19, 19, 20, going into 2021 as well, where I think as a supporter, I felt part of the conversation. I felt like, you know, our views mattered. I felt like we were able to meaningfully influence maybe what happened at our football club, because it is our football club. And it's just regressed to such an extent that I don't know, don't know if we're ever going to get it back under this regime. And that, that really saddens me. But do you guys feel like that in the media? Is that, you know, do you feel like talked to rather than, you know, engaged with? I guess is is what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah, it's it's a good it's a good question. I don't even particularly feel like we're being spoken to uh, a lot of the time. Um, <laughs> to be completely honest with you, I think a, a lot of it is is kind of 
that this is what happens and that's the way it is. And, and look, that's the approach they've taken. And, and like I say, I'm sure they have reasons for, for why they've taken that particular course. And, and they may be really justifiable reasons. And increasingly in modern football, we are seeing football clubs use their channels a lot more. I, you know, that's not, um, it, it's not uh, a surprise necessarily. And I, and I think we're, we're also seeing football clubs want to control the message in a different way to perhaps they, they have done. And, and maybe that shift is a little bit uncomfortable. Um, but, you know, I was I was kind of actually discussing this with, with Paddy today, actually, about kind of external interviews. I think the last one we have done with a figure that is not Dean Smith, at a, a, a contract contractually uh, arranged press conference was Stuart Webber last October, pre-Leeds. That's nearly a, a year, wow. uh, unless I'm missing something, um, which is highly probable with my memory. But that, that for me is... Um, you know, if I if I was a fan and to put my fan hat on is 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 slightly concerning, I think, because you know you you reference culture there. If you believe in it and you believe in what you're doing, then you're happy to go and not defend it because that's the wrong term. It gives the impression that we're attacking, which a lot of the time we're not. Um, but you're willing to go and speak about it and be open about it. And um, there, there are changes that they've made that I think uh, supporters would benefit from knowing from, uh, and that could be some that I think they'd be really impressed by, for example. That, that just haven't really haven't really been communicated um and that's that's a shame and, and that's probably the word i would use i i find the whole thing quite quite sad to be honest because um as you say at a point where connect supporters rightly or wrongly whatever my view don't don't necessarily feel particularly connected and i think you two have conveyed that particularly well um if you're on you know, that point on that point connor you know about being and what you said partly it's our club the people who actually own the club and the majority shareholders of the club, that is that is the antithesis of the type of people they are. You know, they they mm, want to welcome yeah. with open arms. Like you know, if it was practical, they would happily have um, uh, a pint and and dinner with every season ticket holder over the course of a season. You know, they they love talking to supporters. They love they want it to yeah. be an open, loving community club. Is they can they view themselves as custodians and you know. Th- th- I just, I feel like with um, the changes that have taken place in the senior level off the pitch, we have moved towards the, you know, it mirrors the personality of the of, of the people in in charge, right? And it feels very much like we now have a kind of Weber persona football club where we're doing it this way, and it's tough, and you'll get what you'll get, and you'll be grateful for it, and. And but I don't he, necessarily mind that if we're told how we're doing it. So Stuart Webber's always been up front. Like first interview, I mean, I think I was one of the first people to ever interview Stuart Webber and it was like, we're going to do it like this. And and you can come along with the on the ride. Or actually, I don't really give that much of a shit if, if but we has don't, he given you know? an interview since the mountain climbing stuff? Since the mountain climbing stuff, who's spoken to so him? So I think he's done national stuff, hasn't he? But he hasn't actually done anything local. And, and the local stuff, always offers proper context because you know connor yourself you know chris gorham radio norfolk michael bailey for the athletic you know pad as well you know you all get it you all know the context you all know what it means to supporters and that you know how the football club operates so national media might be fine in terms of if we want to i don't know maybe have the perception that we behave like a premier league club and that's where we should do the the media and i don't know let's get dean smith on monday night football with gary neville and you know whatever fine but actually if you want to speak to supporters 
you know, you go through the likes of Arch and you go through the likes of BBC Radio Norfolk, you go through the Athletic because that is the way to to get to them. Um, and it just feels like we've lost that. Feels like we don't do that anymore. And that's not really where I want my football club to be at. I want my football club to be able to speak to fans properly and to explain what we're doing as a club. And Connor, it's really heartening to hear you say, oh, there's some good, really good things going on. Just be really nice to know about them, wouldn't it? You know, because... There is loads of stuff that I, that I kind of hear rumours about, uh, you know, kind of at the training ground where it sounds like, you know, we're going to become a, a top 10 um, club in terms of training facilities and, and actually culturally there's some really good stuff going on there. But, you know, I don't really see any formal communication about it. And, and I'd add to that, and this is about the football style and all the rest of it, and I've, I've pointed this out elsewhere. Dean Smith talks about his four four pillars I think it is you know what he his team or what underpins what his team want um needs to be or he wants them to be I don't know what those four pillars are he might have said it at some point in in press briefings or whatever but tell us what your four pillars are because let's face it it's the fucking championship like we're good enough to really excel at this level if we get things right it doesn't, you know, we're not going to be giving away our game plan to, to the opposition. And any manager worth his salt is going to see after two or three games exactly what our game plan is anyway. So tell us what we're striving for. Tell us, you know, where you want your football club or our football club to be. Tell us what to expect over the next few months, because then a lot of us will get along with the ride and we will give Dean Smith more time because we gave Daniel Farker more time when we knew what the plan was. And actually some of the football was pretty crap. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, I was just, I was just having a look, and um, it seems like there's been one since the end of last season. There seems to have been one national. It was a podcast. Uh, Michael Calvin's football people it seems to be the only thing that that he's done, and that was just before transfer deadline day, um, or, or leading up to it, um, you know, late summer. So, yeah, I, I look. We don't. We haven't provided the answers in this conversation because I, I just don't think that they are very clear, and that's one of the things that I think is is most 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 scary is that um do i think that everything feels a lot better if we win the next three games well yeah everything feels a little bit better when we win three games i was enjoying being joint top of the league and was hoping that the performances would kind of start to match the results if you see what i mean and instead what happened was the results started to match the performances um so you know we've got a huge game on on saturday so we'll round up as ever with our guarantees um you know, we thought it might have been first versus second. It's now whatever it is, fourth versus sixth, and we could be we could be joint top. We could be tenth um, come Saturday tea time, which says probably about as much about the championship as it does about Norwich this season. Some bonkers results. I really don't think we know who the best six teams in the league are yet. Um, but yeah, come on then, punt. Can I have a guaranteed scoreline and a guaranteed scorer for Saturday? I'm in two minds about this because as much as we can harp on about Norwich's form and the fact that it's no, oh sorry, one win in five and three consecutive defeats, I'm pretty sure Sheffield United might be no wins in five and, you know, horrendously out of form. Um, Yeah, two draws out in the last five. And then what, three losses allied to that as well. So I don't know. It's one, it feels to me like Sheffield United might be either the classic along come Norwich that they, you know, they break their run and they and they go and give us a, you know, kind of a comprehensive defeat. Or this is where, and I hate this, that Dean Smith might get a result and then limp on for a little bit longer. Because I do think that his, his job is in serious jeopardy because of the fact that a lot of supporters have lost patience with it. And I've seen a lot of talk on 
on Twitter of late of, I'll give him the next two games. I'm a strong believer of whenever you're in give X manager X amount of games territory, the writing's probably on the wall already anyway, you know, and it's actually just a matter of time before before he departs. But if you want some predictions, I will say that Norwich will... No, I don't will... want a prediction. I want a guarantee. We only do guarantee. guarantees All right, right a guarantee that we will have less than three shots on target. Oh, and then give us, a <laughs> give us a guaranteed scorer for Norwich. Um, I don't think there will be one. Okay. Connor, guaranteed scorer for Norwich and a guaranteed scoreline. Oh, guaranteed scorer for Norwich. Um... Josh Sargent, just on the on the basis of our conversation earlier about him being the only one who seems capable of doing that at the minute. Um, guarantee for Norwich. Uh, I think they will concede a goal from an individ- individual error, which I know is not a... <laughs> I can't wait not, to watch it. Not a hot take, but there you go. <laughs> okay, well, I guarantee that um, Smith is going to try something bonkers. I think, we, he, 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 I think he is someone who gets who must be fed up of being questioned. All football managers have got egos, especially in the top couple of divisions. And I I, I think he he might kind of spring, especially because he's going to be without Kenny, he's going to have to do something different. Maybe we'll see a particularly interesting change of shape or change of system. Um, and maybe he goes 4-4-2. Um, so my guarantee is there's something at 2 o'clock where we go, mm, how are they all going to fit in an 11? And then 5 past 3, we go, oh, he's playing like that, is he? So that's my guarantee for for, for a Norwich situation. Uh, and I guaranteed scorer is Max Ahrens because Punt said that he would regressed, which means he's guaranteed to Almost get his second yeah. Almost goal. Almost certainly. Um, well, it's a good point you raised, though, just before we, we finish. Yep. Who, if we play a four at the back, who's playing left back? Because I know Yanulis is, is kind of in the squad and, and had some minutes, but he can't be ready for a start. I don't know, Connor, you were probably at the press conference this morning. You know, Was there any chat about that? Yeah, he said he wasn't, but needs must. And, okay. and obviously, we were obviously still waiting for, as we record, the results of that appeal, which um, I'd be absolutely gobsmacked if that's overturned. So I think it might be a case of needs must, basically. Okay. Yeah, and then and then if 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 um, if need if if needs be after an hour, uh, Gibbs ends up being there for the last half an hour to try and yeah. keep it, try and keep it down to three nil. <laughs> I, I could see them doing something quite funky with a wing back, or that might be it. That might be the crazy shape I was talking but about. Three centre backs, don't you? Have we even got three centre backs that are fit? Uh, well, you'd bring in Jonathan Tompkinson, wouldn't you? Which uh, in yeah. itself would yeah. be a massive, massive call. I could also see somebody like Onel Hernandez ending up at left back. Something bonkers like that. I thought that. you were going to say centre back. I was going to say that would be amazing. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. Okay, right. I don't think we've answered anything, but we appreciate your time, Connor. Thank you so much for, for taking lunchtime to be with us. Um, fingers crossed there is that bonkers, uh, amazing experience tomorrow of Smith pulling something crazy out of the bag. Uh, it'd be nice to be proved wrong, wouldn't it? Mind how you go. 